How many of you know it's Super Bowl? How many of you do know it's soup? You do know. And some of you are like, I don't really care. The only bowl that I care about is my cereal bowl first thing in the morning before I go to work or school. So, uh, but there'll be a halftime tonight and uh, I'm going to do a halftime in this series because um, I was going to continue with Daniel, uh, but this is halftime. We're right in the middle. Actually, we're a little over middle. I've done three talks out of Daniel. I'm going to do two more. I'll pick up part four next week, part five, two weeks from today. But we're going to do today a halftime talk. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I'm going to encourage you today, and I'm going to give you some things to help you to be able to share your faith with your friends. We're going to take a portion of the service to do that. The other thing, and again, this is a spoiler alert. A lot of you have been coming to church uh, for quite some time, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, yet the reality is you've never yet stepped over the line of faith and said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I want to receive you as the Savior and the leader of my life. Uh, Some of you that are here today, you walk with God possibly at some point in the past. And for whatever reason, you got away from God. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe your parents, you went with your parents, you went off to college and you're like, hey, I'm not really as much into the Jesus thing and church thing as I was when I was growing up and I had to go to church. But now uh, for you, you're searching, you're asking some questions. And so today, uh, what I want to do is I want to give us all something that we can be thankful for. But then there's two other little components to it. This is halftime in the middle of the Daniel talk. For those of you that are not yet Christians, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to challenge you to become a Christian. And then for those of you who already are Christians, I'm going to just challenge you to start sharing your faith. I pray that for you all of the time. I just say, God, I just pray that our church family, just so you know, this is a little insight into my prayer life for you, that God would bless you. You know, I've been praying that this would be the best year that you've ever had spiritually. But I've been praying and asking God to fire you up. So you would share your faith with people that you know and love. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but it's going to be personal for you as well. So I want to dive uh, right into it. And I want to begin by just making a statement, and we all know this to be true, but let me go ahead and say it. Time flies. How many of you would agree with that? Time flies. I was, uh, we just had Brent, our son, and, and Nicole, and the three grandbabies uh, down. You know that. And uh, I'm going to restrain myself. You're expecting me for that to be the message, that my grandkids were here. But that's not the message, that they, they were here. And it's funny, uh, Brent had a birthday while he was here, the day that they got here. And this is what was so funny to me. I said, Brent, time flies. I said, son, when we came, when we came, brought you and your brother and your sister, when we came to Florida to Victory Church 20 years ago, at that point in time, I was younger than you are now. That's what I said to him. And, and then I said, uh, by the way, I recognize you've got some gray hair coming in. I just wanted to encourage him and bless his life. So you got some uh, gray hair coming in there. I've noticed that, son. Yeah, yeah, dad, right where yours came in. So, uh, but mine, yeah, he's a real smart aleck, that kid. And, uh, but I have to remind him that, uh, you know, uh, the lady that does my hair comes to this church and uh, don't ask her, but uh, don't, don't ask her to validate this, but my gray hair, all of it is highlights. It's, it's, it's not, I just, I'm a pawpaw, so I need to look like a pawpaw. And so how many of you know that's not true? I'm sorry, I should have never said that. That is totally not true. They're all natural and all well-earned. 
But time flies, and I think we all would agree with that already. I mean, can you believe it? Uh, Christmas season has already been a month over. Can I just encourage you and just say this to you? Hey, 10 months from now, you're going to be putting your Christmas decorations up all over again. Some of you all kept them up. All right, so that's a whole nother story. So, but um, yeah, I, I'm not responsible. I told you all last week, anything I say under the anointing, I'm not responsible for. <laughs> Wish it were that easy. So uh, that was over a month ago, and this is certainly not going to be, it's a halftime message. It's not a Christmas message, but here on the front side of it, I want to give you a correlation sort of tied to that, and it's in this regard. Have you noticed that gift giving, and Christmas is not the only time that we do it, birthdays or events, special events. Uh, by the way, uh, George Wilson, I, uh, George may be here right now. One of the guys came to me, and George uh, Wilson is, is like a, uh, I forget the title exactly, he's like a wildlife officer. And so he was just inducted in his field of expertise into the Hall of Fame. Can we give George a hand on that? That's a really, really big deal. I'll give you a little help right there. Um, if you've been hunting or fishing illegally, you don't want to tell George that when you congratulate him. He'll go ahead and throw the cuffs on you, right? He'll cuff you and stuff you right here at church. <laughs> so, but we give, you know, we give gifts and we receive gifts. But when you think about it, we'll just keep it because we're a month out from Christmas. We'll keep it near Christmas. There are several evolutions in Christmas or gift giving or receiving as we mature. And I'll give you an example. As a child, as a small child, uh, and our grandkids, 642, 642, and they, they're flying out here uh, probably in about 20 minutes or so. And so we'll sort of assess the damage later today, see if we have to repaint anything or repair anything. But, you know, a, a six and a four and a two-year-old, they get really, really, uh, you know, excited about Christmas. They start anticipating receiving the gifts. And like Christmas Eve, they can hardly stand it. When I was growing up, I don't know how it happened around your house, but when I was growing up, um, we always got our Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. We'd have to go to sleep. We had to be asleep, uh, you know, uh, because we were not going to be able to get our Christmas gifts. And so mom and dad would make sure that the gifts were out. Then they would wake us up. I'm like, why didn't you just cut that, you know, just, and, but that's, a, that's a, you know, that's my parents and that's their, their issue. But uh, so we would just get really excited about, you know, our Christmas gifts coming. So that's when you're a small child. Probably as you get older, and some of you have kids or grandkids like this, it's a little bit different. They're not anticipating. As they get a little bit older, they give you a list. Here's my list in order of priority. Here's what I would like to have. And my, maybe you can't get it all, but you know, whatever you're going to get, here's sort of the top, all right? But uh, so that's sort of an evolution. Now, if you choose to get married, and then later you have kids, your, your shopping process changes. It's no longer about your toys. It's about theirs unless you've learned how to be creative. Having boys, I was able to be a little creative. We were able to get them things for Christmas that I knew that they would enjoy, but also that daddy would enjoy. You got to be creative. You got to be a little subtle on that. But you can pull that off if you want to. And then once you become a grandparent at, Chris, at Christmas, it feels a lot like this. This is what it feels like. What kids? What kids? 
And, you know, because you're sort of into your grandkids. Now, once the gifts have all been purchased, now we have to sort out the delivery of the gifts. Now, the Bible describes, the reason I wanted to set that up, and this is the part that I'm coming to. The Bible describes a time when Jesus wrote down a list, and this is the part that you've got to hear. The Bible describes that time when Jesus made out a list, he calculated the cost, and then as I alluded to a little bit earlier in communion, he left the comfort and the security of heaven to deliver the greatest gift that a person could ever receive. Now, here's where we come into play. Lest we think that the gift delivery business is just between God and individuals, between God and other people, and that we're sort of left out of it now that we're a Christian, the reality is, and this is what, and this is what I've been praying for you, the reality is uh, that God uses people just like you and just like me. Very ordinary people, very, very ordinary people to communicate the gift, uh, you know, to be able to share the message with other people and uh, how sort of the message of that is gonna get to the intended person. So how does that work exactly? And uh, what do we have to do? What's our role in that? Since God has not given us the option of being a sideline spectator, all right? So that is not an option. It, it has been said that some people just, you know, based on matters of spiritual gift, that they have about 10% of the body of Christ would have what, this is what's estimated. I've never tried to verify this, but it is said that among people that are followers of Jesus, that, that probably about 10% would have the spiritual gift of evangelism, about 10%. You know what that means? That means that sharing their faith becomes a lot more natural to the other 90% like you and me, who it doesn't always feel natural to share our faith. We want to be a bright light. We want to be, as Jesus said, like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. But sometimes when you get ready to share your faith, uh, that's not always easy to do. About 90% of followers of Jesus uh, they have to like really be very intentional about that. For somebody that has a spiritual gift of evangelism, it comes almost as natural to them as breathing air. But for the other uh, 90% of us, we've got we've to be really intentional about it. So here's what I want to do, and, and this applies to us, and then I'm going to challenge you toward the end of the talk. Let's begin with sort of the origination of this gift. The gift, and we're talking about is the gift of salvation. How that is a gift. You and I can't earn it. You can't say, well, I'm going to be good enough and I'm going to, I'm going to earn salvation or I'm hoping that, you know, at the end of my life that I've done enough good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff and that's going to get me into heaven. No, that's not how it works. So let's talk about the origination of the gift for just a moment. I love these verses and you've read them, but you're going to be reminded of them this morning. Look at them with me. Once we too, that's all of us, we too were foolish and disobedience. How many of you remember a time like that in your own life? I certainly do. I was foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, our Savior revealed his kindness and love, what are these three words? Read them with me. He saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. Read this with me but because of his mercy. He saved us, why? Because of his mercy. Look at the next part. He washed away our sins. He took them away, giving us a new birth, a new start, a do-over, and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will. He gives us the confidence that we will, and this is really, really big, that we will inherit eternal life. That is a promise that God has made. So I want to give you three thoughts right here, and you may want to jot them down somewhere. Three thoughts, three truths. Uh, Number one, here's the first one. No matter how good we were before coming to Jesus, no matter how good we were, we were still lost. How many of you know that's true? No matter how good we were before coming to Jesus, we were still lost. In the church that I pastored before coming here, uh, uh, a lady came to me one day, and I knew her. I'd met her husband. I knew her because she had been coming to the church, but um, her husband was newer to the church, and she just said, hey, in the case of my husband, and she wasn't claiming he was perfect, like a perfect guy, or didn't make mistakes, or didn't have problems, but she was just saying, because he would hear the gospel message, and she would just say, you know, uh, he's just grown up and he's, he's a really, really good guy. He's a really, really, he's a really good employee. He's a really good husband. He's a really good guy and all of that. So he's not like done all of these bad, bad things. So it's harder for him to see his need for Christ. And so we had conversations about that. Uh, I'm happy to tell you later he did realize, hey, I need Jesus in my life. But you know what? If you're a person and, and you're good in every area of your life, if you look at how you relate to your job and you're good at your job, and if you happen to be married and uh, you're a good spouse or, you know, if you're a parent, you're a good parent, you're a good grand, uh, that's all great. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But here's the truth. And you need to hear the truth. And I need to hear the truth. Even if all of those things are true, no matter how how good we were before we came to Jesus. How many of you know we were still lost? We were still spiritually lost. We can't be good enough to be in relationship with God. Now, here's a, here's the thing that uh, I think is, is striking for a lot of us. It is not uncommon for us or anybody else for that matter prior to coming to Christ uh, to put ourselves on a self-improvement kind of plan. And what that generally looks like is, is this, you know, there's some things in my life that are not good and I shouldn't be doing. Therefore, in my self-improvement plan, I'm going to stop doing these things. I'm going to try my best and I'm going to try to stop doing these things. I've been in discussions with a couple of guys recently and they're just, you know, just, you know, like I know that God is dealing with me about this in my life and I know that I need to set it aside. I know that I need to be done with it. I know and and that's all well and, and good. Now they're not looking at that. You know, if I stop doing this, it's going to cause me to become a Christian. In their case, it's because I'm a Christian, I ought to have greater motivation to stop doing that. So we've been talking through that a little bit. But furthermore, on the flip side of that, uh, it it can be this idea, if I'm going to become a better person, whatever spectrum of my life, I want to become a better person, then here's some things that I need to start doing. It's like a self-improvement plan. And a lot of people do this. A lot of us uh, did this before we came to Jesus. There's some things in my life I just need to stop doing, and there's some things that I need to start doing. Now, this is all noble. And the effort of that ought to be applauded. And if that's sort of where you're at right now, I would applaud that. Yet here's a reality. Within ourselves, we can stop doing all kinds of things that we probably need to stop doing. And we can start doing some things that we need to start doing to become a better person. But that is not the same thing. And we've got to be clear on this. It is not the same thing as receiving the gift of salvation. Listen again to the language of verse 3. We were foolish 
before we came to Jesus. We were disobedient. That's what Paul is saying. We were misled. We were slaves to many lost and pleasures. We were full of evil and envy. And even if we were a pretty good person, we were not good enough. We were still lost. Now, what Paul is saying here, in fact, when he uses the word foolish, it actually means without spiritual understanding. We, weren't, we were not looking at things from a spiritual point of view. In many ways, Paul would say we were deceived. We were being led astray. Please listen closely to what I'm saying right here. My intention is not to discourage you uh, from having, putting together a self-improvement plan. And we all do this by nature in a lot of different areas of our life. We do this in terms of managing money. I'm always trying to find ways to manage money. I'm a, uh, I've talked about podcasts. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts. If I get a break, I'm listening to podcasts. If I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, you know, I'm just looking for those little opportunities. One of the ones I listen to quite a lot is Dave Ramsey, managing money and just sort of his step, his baby steps. And because I want to and you want to manage money better. And uh, we want to take better care of our relationships in our life. How do we get better in these relationships? And we read and we listen and we learn. And these are things we ought to be committed to. We ought to be committed to managing money in a way that's going to honor God. We ought to be committed to uh, finding ways to improve our relationships. Uh, We ought to be getting better how we're caring for ourselves. I'm reading a book right now that's just sort of challenging me in terms of, you know, how I need to better take care of what am I putting into my body? What should I? be putting into my body? What should I not? Written by a brilliant doctor from Cleveland Clinic and reading that and just trying to get back. So there are these, and I'm not negating the importance of improving areas of our life, relationships and managing money and taking care of our bodies and on and on we could go. What I am saying though is that, you know, if we try to do that spiritually, there's still going to be a huge gap. Because you and I cannot improve ourselves. We cannot make ourselves better to where we reach a point where Jesus said, all right, that's enough. You just saved yourself. All right. So uh, truth number one, no matter how good we were or how good we are, if you're not yet a Christian, fact of the matter is we were or we are still lost. Here's the second truth. Be sure you get this down. God God, and this is, you know this, but I want to just say it. Uh, God is the one who makes this gift possible. God is the one who makes it possible. Salvation, would you agree, is a gift? Okay. You don't believe that, or either you're asleep. You have it. Uh, more coffee. Can we get more coffee in here, please? <laughs> How many of you believe salvation is a gift? It's not by words of righteousness that we have done, but according to his grace. He has saved us, lavished his love upon us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is a gift, and God is the one who makes this gift possible. Let's go back to Titus chapter 3. You just saw these verses, but look at them again, at least this small portion. But, but, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, when he did that, he saved us. We didn't save ourselves, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away. Remember this? He washed away our sins, given us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, if we give, and I hope that we will, some careful consideration of this, we will soon realize the dilemma of just having our own plans. 
of saying, you know what? I'm going to improve in so many areas of my life, and I'm going to improve spiritually to the point where I'm just good enough, and that's enough. I'm good enough, and that's enough. Now, the burden of responsibility in our thinking like this rests squarely upon us. It becomes what we can do, and most of us are keenly aware of our own weaknesses and limitations. Most of us, and if you're not, pray that God would help you to become aware of your weaknesses and limitations. And if you say, well, I don't really have any at all, period. I'm the exception to the rule. Ask some people around you that love you and will speak the truth, and they'll help you with this. Because we all have weaknesses and limitations. Would you agree? All right? Don't ask my family. They're not available after the service to ask them what mine are. Uh, but I've got them, I promise you, and we all do. Uh, and I was thinking about it while I was working on this talk. Uh, some of you, we've been friends long enough, and this happened a long, long time ago. Um, maybe before we even started out here, I had to have surgery. And I knew I had to have surgery, and uh, so uh, I, I wasn't really excited about it. Some of you have heard me mention this before, the difference between minor surgery and major surgery. I heard somebody describe it this way before. Somebody said the way to know the difference between major surgery and minor surgery is this. If you're having surgery, it's minor surgery, but if I'm having surgery, it's major surgery. That's how you know the difference. So I knew I had to have this surgery, and it wasn't like complex. It wasn't like life-threatening or anything, but I knew I needed to have this, and the doctor confirmed it, et cetera. And so I came home, and, and um, I even went on the Internet. Don't recommend that necessarily. I went on the Internet to figure out, <laughs> you know, become more informed about why I was needing to have surgery. And even on there, I read while I was reading. Again, I'm not recommending that you do that necessarily, how a surgeon would go about repairing the problem that I had. And it just brought me front and center with this rea reality. I could not do anything about my situation. I could not. I could not do anything to fix. Uh, in fact, if I'd said to my family, listen, uh, you know how I can, you know, my frugality gear, quick, you know, kicks in quite a bit from time to time. And so because you guys, you know, sort of sit my family down and just say, uh, because, you know, I, I tend to be a little frugal. You know, I want to handle money, uh, you know, God's money accurately. And so I've come up with a great idea. I think, I've watched enough on the internet, I think I can pull this surgery off myself. <laughs> you know, all I need is a few pain meds, a little bit of anesthesia. You get me the right tools. And, and here's what I'll do. Uh, I'll just fix myself. How many of you know that my family would have had an intervention? You are not. You're going to let somebody who knows what to do fix you. Now, capture this incredible truth. I love this about God. God not only performs the surgery that all of us need, offering to us this amazing gift, he even decided beforehand that he would pay the bill. How do you like that? He said, I'm not only going to do in your life what needs to be done. By the way, you can't do this on your own, God would say, but I'm going to make sure that the bill is taken care of in advance. In fact, I want you to take a look at something that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2. He said, but God's mercy, here we are, back to God's mercy. But God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead, while we were not even yet Christians, in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. 
The reality is God is the one who makes this gift possible. And this we must clearly understand that it is absolutely, and I'm, I'm repeating this again intentionally, it is absolutely impossible to earn salvation on our own. It, it's impossible through the means of human effort to make this a reality. It is a gift given from God to us, and even though we can't produce it, we can't make it happen. Here's the beautiful part of God's plan. We can receive it. We can receive the gift. Out of mercy, out of grace, he gives it to us, but you and I have to receive it. Matt Lucado, a lot of you have read his books probably, and he says, and I'll just read two paragraphs from one of the books. He says, consider what God did. He gave his son, his only son. And then he says, would you do that, question mark? Would you offer the life of your child for someone else? I wouldn't, he said. There are those for whom I would give my life, but ask me to make a list of for those whom I would, you know, give my, my child. That sheet, he says, will be blank. I don't need a pencil. The list has no names. But God's list, he said, contains the name of every person who ever lived. For this is the scope of his love, and this is the reason for the cross. It's because God loves the world. He loves the whole world. Third truth, I want you to be sure you get this now. God has also given to us not only the gift of salvation, but he has also given to us a great promise. And it's in verse 7. You saw it earlier, but let's go back and look at it again. Because of his grace that he, because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that, read this phrase with me, everybody, that we will inherit eternal life. And that's really, really important that we will inherit eternal life. Really think through this with me for a few moments. When you consider your life right now, if you're already a Christian, it is far better since you became a Christian. You live with a purpose in your life. You live with meaning in your life. Each morning, if you're a Christian, you go about your day, and whether you're at work or whether you're at school or you're in your car, you know that God is right there with you, that God has promised. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. When you lie down to sleep at night, you're not constantly tor tormented with feelings of, of guilt or, or shame or regret. Not that you've been perfect, but you just know, hey, you know, I'm abiding in Christ. My life is in Christ, and I'm not a perfect person, and if I slip up and mess it up, I'm going to be quick. I'm going to be so quick quick to repent and just get redirected and marching in the direction that God wants me. And we just have that assurance. Our life is so much better since we became a Christian. Now, uh, you've heard me talk about this. I don't want to reiterate it, but that doesn't mean our life becomes perfect and work becomes perfect and everything in our family becomes perfect and all of life and, you know, money matters become perfect and health becomes perfect and, uh, you know, all of these uh, different portions of our life become perfect. That's not what it, that's People would come to Jesus for the wrong reasons if that's what it was all about. But it does mean, you know, in the core of our soul, which really matters, that our life is so much better. I, I like this statement. The guys are going to put it up on the screen. I read it several years ago. Take a look at it with me. This is what it says. Uh, not, not that. There was a quote. If you've got it, that would be great. All right? Yeah, that's the one I put in there. That one right there. And I'd read that to you, but I don't want to show off. Okay, that's how I write, typically. <laughs> Intons. No, that's not intense. That's not. Uh, that's uh, Spanish, I believe. I believe. I don't even know. Was it? I, okay, I think. So how many of you would prefer if I read it the way it is in my notes? <laughs> would that help? All right, here it is. It's really a great quote. It really was. Uh, 
When you can think of yesterday, this is a great place to be. When you can think of yesterday without regret and tomorrow without fear, you are near contentment. That's a great statement. When you can think of yesterday without regret and tomorrow without fear, you're at a good place. You're near contentment. You see, all of us are made for eternity. And the fact of the matter is, we are going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, I know I'm talking to most of you who are already in Christ, but there are several of you that are not. And, um, and then those of us that are in Christ, we've already received Jesus as the Savior and the leader of our life. And we know that we're in right standing with God, again, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what God did through Christ for us. Here's, here's the thing that we've got to keep in mind. You know, everybody's made for eternity, including our friends and family members and coworkers and, and uh, neighbors, people that we know, people that we interact with wherever we go, maybe where we get our hair cut or, you know, where, where you go to the gym or dry cleaners or where you shop or where you eat. You know, this is something that's got to be gripping to us all, and we just get so busy with life that we, you know, we've got work, and we've got our kids, and we're raising, uh, you know, in school and everything that we're doing. And a lot of times we forget this, that the very people that we know and love and are in a relationship with, they are also going to spend eternity somewhere. And I want you to give me some of your best thinking as we wrap this up. We only have a few moments left. Because I want to touch on something that is not often talked about. And that is usually when you and I think about helping a lost person to find their way toward God and one day toward heaven. We typically see it, I'll just say it this way, as an all or nothing deal. If we happen to turn a conversation, we've talked about that, towards spiritual matters, towards spiritual life or Christianity or God or Jesus, heaven, hell, eternity, uh, a lot of times if we're not careful, we see this as only having one possible destination, straight to the sinner's prayer. And, and, and again, this is where I want to help us all. Uh, sometimes we can feel like if we turn a conversation, we have a conversation with somebody that may, depending on where they're at, uh, spiritually speaking, it may be that they're really, really far from God, really far from God. And it may be that your first conversation, they're a long way from praying the sinner's prayer with you. And so what do we do? We shouldn't walk away from that and say, well, you know what? I shared my faith and I'm just getting really, really practical. And some of you know this, a lot of you know this, but for some of you, this is going to give you some reassurance in sharing your faith. If you have turned a conversation towards spiritual matters and you've had family member, friend, neighbor, coworker, whoever it is, and you've had that conversation, that conversation is not always going to lead toward on the spot that, that person become a, a Christian right then at that moment. Because some of them are not yet ready. And I'm not going to complicate this, but there's like scales. And I've studied this and looked at this. And some people like if, if zero, if you could see this zero when somebody, you know, uh, commits their life to Jesus, sort of plus one as they're growing, plus two as they're growing, plus three as they're growing, plus four. But then some people are on the other side of the equation. They're like, you know, this has been uh, written about quite a lot. A negative one, negative two, neg negative three, number four. That may be somebody, if somebody's like near zero, if this makes sense, somebody that may be near zero, they may believe in God, they may believe that Jesus is his son, the Bible is true, but they've just never given. I mean, they're like on the verge of giving life to Jesus. That may be somebody negative one, negative two, negative three, and again, I'm not going to complicate it with this, but somebody way out here on the other end, they may be like a negative 10. That may be somebody that's like an atheist. And, and, you know, they're not real close to the line of faith of giving their life to Jesus because they don't even believe yet in the existence of God. Does that make sense? Wave your hand at me like this if that made sense to you. 
So for some people, it is going to be harvest time. And you know, they're ready. The seed was planted long ago, and maybe it wasn't even planted by you, but by somebody else. Uh, and so when you share your faith with them, they just happen to be so ripe and ready that they're ready to pray and receive Christ right then and there. But most of the time, a lot of the time, they're not right there. Now, I don't want to dissuade you from not going for that, you know, to say, well, hey, they're probably. And we need to be careful that we don't make people's decisions for them. They may be closer to that line of faith than what you know. So I'm not encouraging you to back off from leading them to that point. I'm just saying I don't want you to get discouraged if you just share your faith and they're not ready. You may even get them to the point to say, hey, would there be any reason? This is a good way to raise. Would there be any reason why you wouldn't pray with me right now to receive Jesus in your life? And some people say, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready right now. Other people just flatly no, I'm not ready. And we've got to respect that because we may not come at harvest time, if that makes sense. We may be the one that plants the seed or we provide some much needed water to the seed that's already been planted or some nourishment to that seed which has already been planted. So what are some of the ways that we can do this? And I'm just going to lay this out real quick and we're done. What are some ways? And again, this is really practical, but I, I want to give this to you before we're done. Number one, start by building a relationship, a relationship of trust. People are, remind yourself of this reality. Think about the people that are in your family right now that are not yet Christian. Think about friends that you have, that you maybe have had these friendships a long time. It may be a best friend. Think about the people that you work with. Think about the people that live near you that you've already, these, see people are not, and you know this, but I'm just reminding you of something you know. People are not projects. They are potential sons and daughters of a most high God. So start, build a, just build a relationship. I don't need to walk over to my neighbor and say, hey, by the way, uh, you know, I'm not very handy, so I don't have any tools. Do you have a Philip head screwdriver? And by the way, would you pray with me right now? We've never talked, but pray with me to receive Jesus right now. How many of you know that's not wisdom? So I need to establish a relationship. Number two, look for opportunities to serve them. Find the need and meet it. Find the need and meet that need. If I was going to be sharing uh, my faith with my, my neighbor, I'd, you know, and my neighbor was not a Christian, what is the need? How can I be a help? I want to build a relationship with them, uh, with somebody that I work with. Um, how can I find a need in their life and, and, and uh, meet that need? Here's the third thing. And I think this through. I'm hitting them real quickly. Ask well thought out questions. I'll take it a step further. Open-ended questions where you give them a chance to respond and talk because that's going to help you to know where they're at spiritually. So don't just ask them. My point in that is don't just ask them yes and no, where they can say yes, no, end of conversation. Ask questions that's going to cause them to think and respond. Here's another thing. Number four, respect their rate of progress. Respect their rate of progress. And that calls for great discernment and sensitivity. God, show me where they're at. And here's how I would say it. Push, but not too hard. Does that make sense? Wave at me like this. If you push, you don't want to give up. You don't want to become apathetic. Well, they're just, you know, they're just so far from God. I don't know that they'll ever. No, that's not your decision. Uh, Jesus says extended salvation to them as a gift, and they've got to make the decision, but you can't make that decision for them. They may be closer to that line of faith than what you think, but respect their rate of progress. Push them toward that. Push them toward giving their life to Jesus, but not too hard. Here's another thing, real simple. Invite them to come to church with you. That's an easy thing. Hey, come, um, 
come to, uh, come to church with me sometime. Hey, you know, I'll wait out in the lobby for you and, and just come and sit with me. And, you know, I'll just warn you in advance. Our pastor, he's, he, he, we don't always know what he's going to say. And that concerns us. And, and sometimes he even puts language up on the screen that he doesn't even understand just to see if we're paying attention. He does strange stuff like that. But just invite them to come to church. And you know, you know by now. If you've been here any, you know, you know, we're not going to do anything to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything to embarrass them. We're just going to, aren't you glad? And I, this has nothing to do with me, and that's why I can say, aren't you glad that you and I are a part of a church where, where somebody can receive the gospel in a way that, that they can understand? And it's not, how do I want to say this? It's in a way that they can understand without making them leave, leaving the place feeling condemned and that there's no hope for them. That they can know, hey, we just lay it out. Jesus, like you said, the way and the truth in life, nobody comes to the Father. And so we just try to lay that out and make it simple. That God loves us enough that he sent Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins and wants to have a relationship with us. And the gospel, we shouldn't complicate the gospel. And then last thing, and we're done. When they are ready to receive him, Christ seize that opportunity. Maybe it's somebody that you've been planting some seed, you've gotten to know them, and you've built a relationship. They trust you, and you trust them. Maybe just over time, you've just built a friendship. Maybe you hang out. Maybe you go out to eat together from time to time. Maybe you, you have recreational interests that are the same or hobbies that are the same. And you just are, you know, as a, as a friend at work, you're sharing lunch with from time to time. And little by little, that door is opening, and they're getting more and more ripe. They're becoming more and more sensitive toward things of, of God. And then you pray that God would give you that wisdom and that open door, and you'll sense it. And when they're ready, you just step through and you just say, God, because here's the beauty of it, God still uses everyday common people just like you and me. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm not part of the 10% that has the gift of evangelism. I'm part of the 90 that I don't have the gift of evangelism. I know what my spiritual gifts are, but that's not like in my top three. So I say that because I'm just like you. There's people in my life that I'm like, I've got to get the courage up to share my faith. I know it, and I'm motivated, and I'm intentional, and I do it, but it's not because it comes natural to me. When I get ready to share my faith, if this helps you, I feel exactly the same way you do. And I'm like, okay, God, please, please, please help me. Help me to find that open door, and then give me the wisdom to know what to say and how to say it. Now, if you've already come to Jesus, you know that your life is better than it's ever been before. Doesn't mean your life is perfect, but you open up your heart and mind to receive Jesus, the one who died on the cross, paid off your sin debt. And now we have, as I mentioned, a purpose for, for living, a reason for being. We're, we don't live our lives constantly with shame and regret. We know, and this is so important, uh, Ashley Wilkinson, is, she works down in the kids area, and I want you to be praying for her brother-in-law, Brian's brother, and I think Brian's in this service. But Brian, I got a text from Ashley on Friday that Brian's brother, who is a Christian, he only 45 years of age, had a heart attack, a massive heart attack. Had not, he not got, into, got to the hospital, then he was going to be in big, big trouble. But you know what? The Bible says our life is but a vapor. We're here for only a short season, then we're gone. 
There's nothing like, I don't know of anything like it, friend. There's nothing like knowing that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, if for some reason you don't wake up the next morning, and Roy Wilkinson is his name, and that's who we want to be praying for, Roy Wilkinson. But there's something about knowing that if this is my last day on earth and I die, that I'm in right standing with God. And a lot of you, you know that. You just know, hey, you want to live? I, I want to keep, I want to see my grandkids reach 80. That's my goal, okay? That's my, that's my goal. But just having that assurance that we're in right standing with God. And a lot of you are there, but some of you are not. And this is your moment. Would everybody stand to your feet? Everybody, stand to your feet. When you do, don't go anywhere. Just stay right where you're at. Would you take a moment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, you've heard the message of Jesus that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. We can't do it. We can't be good enough. We can't make it happen. We've got to receive what Jesus did for us. It is a gift. You can't produce it. You can't make it happen. There's not a great enough self-improvement plan that God's going to say, okay, you just saved yourself. Jesus offers the gift, and you get a chance to receive it. And if you're here today, maybe you've been coming here a long, long time. Or maybe you've get, been getting nearer and nearer to making a decision to follow Jesus. Right where you're at, you just lift your hand and say, Jeff, I want to become a Christian right here, right now today. And I'm willing to pray a prayer with you to receive Jesus into my life. You just lift up your hand as high as you can right now. Just put it straight up in the air as high as you can. And then you can put it right back down and then pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, pray it in your heart. I need you in my life. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. No matter how good I am. You just say this in your mind. God will honor that. No matter how good I am, I'm still lost. I need you. I need grace. I need mercy. I need salvation. And right now, best as I understand, I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Give me a brand new start, a do-over. Thank you that you give me the promise that one day, whenever I do die, that I'm going to spend all of eternity with you. And I thank you for that. Now, God, take my hand. Jesus, would you lead me and show me the way? And with your help, I'll live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give Jesus one more hand of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every person that prayed that prayer in your name. Have an awesome week. Halftime is over next week. Daniel, part four. Look forward to seeing you. God bless you, everybody.